The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Rack Ross means the one, the only, the very mischievous and has been baiting the hook with this episode. I know, I know. Dick. I had because I've been working on this one for day like a week now, <laughs> and I'm only done with part one and part two, and I think it's a four parter. But yeah, this is gonna this is gonna be epic. I'm dreading some of the things I have to say. Only because I have to say them in front of you. <laughs> However, I think that this is going to open like like our movie ones. You know that series we did on movies inspiring murder. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to open up a lot of debate because it tests a different part of the human psychology. Well, that's good because I like I like debating the masses. You well, know, yeah. Well, and not mass, just that is. Well, I meant mass debating. I know, not as opposed to mass. Durbating. <laughs> mass debating. <laughs> yes. What do you think I'm doing over here behind the screen? And we are, you know what? We didn't even get two seconds in this episode. And I'm done. Well, I got pictures of your mom over here. The <laughs> See, ones that, I knew the you ones were that go she there. sent that's me for I Christmas. Sh- no, that's Rawr. why I said we're done. Or when that first stole she was wearing. Mm, <laughs> that damn, one? that's hot. Uh-huh. <laughs> She'd be I, my mysterious lady that I meet on the street. Didn't I ever show you? I, I think I sent you a picture of hers and my, our, our um, oh my God, what glamour shots. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, because you were like, who's the young one? I said, that's me and my mother. You're like, oh. And I'm like, yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you, man. When she comes here for vacation. <laughs> well, <laughs> shut up. Well, and, you know, because I had to feel the Keith call myself this week because you were still working because of the snow screw up we had. Yeah, I was coming back all the way from Eastern Oregon. Yeah, so. you were coming back from Eastern Oregon. And so I had to feel the Keith calling. <laughs> he kind of cracked. I mean, first he goes into graphic detail. I mean, graphic detail about catheters, and I do not like catheters. And every time he was saying the word catheter and how they insert it and everything, and how they had to do another one, I would cringe and like I would like go within myself. I gotta tell I gotta tell you what <laughs> our mutual friend and Keith's friend Jen Dahl said. Mm-mm. Number one, Jen, I know you're listening to this. You're a twat. Twat waffle. Total twat. So Keith didn't contact them to tell them that he was sick. He contacted me. Right. So then I, uh, you know, I, I told you know. Uh, Jen, who told Briar Mitchell, the author, because we're, we're 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 all friends. Yeah, and uh, you know, and so I'm mentioning that Keith had told me, yeah, he had to have three catheters when he first went in, and there she goes. I wonder if they put in all three at the same time. Well, he's saying saying how the last one they put it, he said they had a total of five of them by the time it was over. I mean, like all and together, one and of them was like in, a triple catheter. I'm like, oh, like she made it sound like they're taking three cats and putting it into his oh, hole. No, 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 no. Yeah. No. That's why I said she's a twat. She's yeah, no, 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 no. That my, is not even okay. <laughs> my butthole puckered up so tight. Dude, I am okay. You know what? I practice Kegels, by the way. But let me tell you something. Right now, I am like a strong Kegel in a clench position because it hurts. <laughs> I'm telling you, I damn near had to call nine one one so they could pry the seat out of my ass. That's how tight I was. I was puckered up. And she goes, "What? I'm like, do you know how that shit works? Have you ever had a calf? Jesus Christ, man! Yeah, you don't joke about shit. That's not." That's not that's not even funny. <laughs> yeah, no. I had a freaking nightmare that yeah, night. No doubt. Woke up in a sweat. No. Crying I mean, in the fetal position. Yeah, they had to give me a catheter when I did my stomach sur- when they resectioned my bowel when I had that obstruction recently. And yeah, I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. No. I would not work I would not wish that on my worst enemy on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> There are certain things that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. Break the tailbone and catheters. Yeah, are, breaking the tailbone, that's vicious, too. Cause. Yeah, because I've broken mine, and it's not, it's not yeah, fun. Yeah, I, I haven't broken mine, but I jammed mine in high school, and I couldn't sit down, at you know, because we didn't have the soft, plush seats they have now. Yeah, no kidding. We, we had, had those hard wooden chairs. Wood or metal. Yes. That's your two choices, wood, yeah, metal, or plastic. So it was bad. But anyway, so this one is actually on, the. this series is titled Werewolf Syndrome. Like Teen Wolf. Remember that movie? I do. That's actually one of my favorite movies. Yeah, with Justin Bateman. No, that was... uh, No, it wasn't originally Justin Bateman. He was in the second one. Uh, Oh, the remake. Hold on. God dang it. Um, um, He's got the the, the Parkinson's. Uh, uh, yeah, Michael J. Fox. Yeah, Michael J. Fox. Yeah. I like Michael J. Fox as an actor. Me too. I actually like him as a person too. You know, because when he got... 
diagnosed with Parkinson's and everything, he started embracing that in his acting. Right. And he didn't let it limit him, you know. Oh, cool. Yeah, because he started, I mean, he started playing parts on TV, like as far as like Boston Legal and stuff, where he was an attorney, but he explained his tics as tar- something dyskinesia and everything. And that he had no, and he would like use them to his advantage to win cases. Oh, and well, it was, shit, I mean, it was actually go. really cool. But yeah, he didn't let it stop him. And I, I really admired that about him. Ain't no stopping him now. Have you heard that um, Bruce Willis has been diagnosed? I can't remember if it's dementia or Parkinson's. I think it's dementia. But, oh, so same as Joe Biden. Yeah, like frontal lobe dementia. De- really? Joe Biden, too? I, I, I am assuming because <laughs> I've watched him speak. And <laughs> sitting there going, no. That's <laughs> definitely the George Bushisms, right? <laughs> Dude, seriously, he makes George Bush... Junior. Junior. Sound like a rocket scientist. Like a Mensa candidate. (laughs) And literally, I heard uh, G.W. Bush say these words, and the terrorists are keeping the gynecologists from practicing their, their love. With women all over the world, and I had TiVo at the time, which is the was the like the DVR, the first DVR, yes. Yeah, and I he didn't say that, and I recorded it, and I watched him. Son of a bitch! And then you kept rewinding and playing it over and over. That is the best line I've ever heard. The terrorists are keeping the gynecologists from practicing their love. I'm a wow. That or my other favorite one is. Now you remember this? <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on. You no me no them. Um, you know what? I'm out of here. Bye bye. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> oh, Bushisms were great, but now yeah. it's when I watch Biden, and I'm not trying to make this a political no. show. No, because I make fun of every president. Uh, you know, and even yeah. though I was a uh, you know a, a, a good supporter of Trump, I make fun of Trump. Well, you know, I was a fucking... good supporter of Trump too, only because I don't think this country should be run by a politician. That's all no, I'm saying. And I agree. And I made yeah. fun of Trump too because Trump said things. I looked at him and dude, seriously, learn <laughs> to shut the fuck up. Yeah, stop tweeting. You know how people drunk text? Yeah, he would bath. He would shit tweet. <laughs> like I can understand if he was an alcoholic and got drunk and you know what I'm gonna say what I want to say. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, okay, no, I get it because I've done that shit. <laughs> but you're sober and you're doing this while you're on the shitter, dude. <laughs> maybe you need to not tweet. Like, you know, the, the, yeah, got no one to hold them, no one to fold take them. take his phone, his tweet machine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like, you got no one to hold them, no one to fold them, fucker. You know, there's a, I, 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 there's an old saying that I heard from this, this old black uh, gentleman down south. Um, was, yeah, boy, maybe I heard it from my dad, can't remember. Anyway, um, boy, there's a time to holler, there's a time to whisper. Then there's a time to shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> yep, yep. And I think that good old Donnie boy <laughs> should have shut the fuck up. <laughs> more often than not. And I liked him as a president, but I liked him. Yeah. But I, I watch Biden and he says things that and it's not even out of context because I will look to find the whole video. Yeah. And it's weird stuff like. So then the terrorists let the ducks fly over their heads and then tanks, boom, boom, dog walk, bark, bark, and take a bath. And uh, that's why we need electric cars everywhere and we need to get rid of the fossil fuels because roar, roar, dinosaur, and my shoes are on the wrong feet. Did you just say roar, roar, dinosaur? Yeah. I mean, he's saying things that freaking ridiculous. I'm looking at him going, oh, my God. That, yeah, I, I'm actually pretty impressed with Biden. I am because when you can make G.W. Bush look like a mega genius and, and speech yeah. expert, yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> I said, I was, I'm, 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 I'm like, doing this right now. I'm, I'm going, yeah, I am. I'm like, that's awesome, dude. That's, that's, that's wow. <laughs> Well, we make fun of people all the time, no matter what. <laughs> but still, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, it's every president, you know. And well, it is not just presidents. We make we make fun of. Oh, our favorite one to make fun of here is you know Lucas Kate Brown. Oh, Kate Brown, <laughs> Jesus! Don't get me started on that twat. Because you know, I heard what she said about the Clintons, and that just wasn't right. Oh yes, one hundred percent. I think that she has information against the. Clintons. I'm telling you, what she said was not right about them Clintons. Just saying, Hillary, if you're listening, you might want to go talk to Katie Pooh. Um, and what about Inslee? Yeah. I heard he was. I heard he was talking to definitely his Inslee. Jesus, <laughs> this is what gets me about Kate Brown. And then we'll get back on track here. Is that? Um, oh yeah. 
you know, like when we were having riots in, and they, these are oh, riots, totally. they're, they're burning down downtown Portland. Oh, yeah. And then Trump's like, dude, I'm going to send in the National Guard. We're going to clear this up. She's like, um, no, I didn't pro- ask you for your help. I didn't want your help. And the protesters, we're going to protect their rights to protest. Um, They're burning shit down. And then when he said, OK, I'm going to pull out the U.S. Marshals because, you know, they the marshals were here. She said, why aren't you helping us? Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. Well, you said I don't want your help. It's like, dumb bitch. You said pull them out. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. But if I so if I help you, I'm wrong. If I don't help you, I'm wrong. Get your mm-hmm. shit together, you twat bag. Well, and then she just went and like, and one of the senators, and he was a Democratic senator, by the way, said it best because she just commuted everybody's death sentence in Oregon to life. Right. Okay. And this Democratic senator said it best. He goes. What she did overstepped her bounds as a governor because she, without getting a vote from the public, she abolished the death penalty. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, and that's overstepping her bounds as a governor on her way out of office. Yeah, she needs to be yeah. on her way to a fucking prison cell. She needs to be or on a loony her bin. Either I was one. just say we can open up Damish again just for her. Oh hell <laughs> yes! I think that her and Biden and and Kamala Harris they all need to be on display like animals, like seriously. Yeah. And this is what we call morons. <laughs> yeah, idiot it, party of one. <laughs> we, we 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 put Dirty Joe in his own little room. He's got a TV. Now let's turn on the monitor and listen to what he says. And then the cuckoo clock <laughs> went went cock a doo to do. With the ducks in my pants and hello, there's a wiener and I'm gonna stand on my head because space aliens pro probe spaceship. <laughs> yeah, you're like no, okay, that's cool. You, you know who all that that makes sense to? Nobody, Nobody. <laughs> except for schizophrenics and people who are higher than draft pussy. Because when you're super high, you're like, no, that makes sense yeah, to me. Totally. Uh, dude, <laughs> like maybe we should start drink some shroom tea and then listen to it. Maybe it'll make sense. <laughs> that would probably be like, oh, my God. I understand the meaning of the universe. It's coming out of Dirty Joe's mouth. Okay. <laughs> That's right. It makes sense, though. Total sense. So, anyways, we're talking about werewolf syndrome, right? Uh-huh. So, I'm pretty sure everyone is pretty familiar with one or more tales that are derived from European for- folklore. In fact, we've actually featured a couple on this show. The first one we featured was Frederick Thomas Linwood, a.k.a. the Muffin Man. Yes. Whether or not he was truly a serial killer. And then recently, we just featured the legend behind Hansel and Grill, right? So today, we're featuring several cases related to the folklore surrounding the werewolf. Now, for those who aren't aware of what this means, it's about a man who morphs into a mutant type of wolf under the light of a full moon. Once the transition is complete, he goes on a rampage, devouring humans, animals, and even dead corpses. Are we going to touch on the fact of that werewolf syndrome is actually a real syndrome? Yes. Not just the psychology of it, but like people... like. Yes, I get into that. Okay, just making yeah. sure. No, yeah. He only takes his form until daylight dawns the next morning. Now, according to some beliefs, certain individuals have this, quote, gift naturally, while others believe a person is infected with a, quote, curse, and they survive being bitten by a werewolf during an attack, or it's passed down from generation to generation. However, every version of this tale claims a werewolf is often identified because they have sustained an injury while they're in beast form that does not go away when they transition back into a human. Okay, that's the only only way you can detect... What, who is a werewolf and who is I'm it? taking notes in case I encounter more were, more werewolves. In case you encounter more werewolves? Yeah, I'm, 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 I know, it's a hard to say. It's a tongue twister, huh? I started thinking of Joe Biden, and now I'm wanting to say just nonsensical shit. <laughs> yeah. So Unlike puff, us Sasquatchies, we don't turn into humans. Sasquatch <laughs> don't go roar, roar. Oh, puff, puff, buttercup, Okay. But we ride the T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> but you ride a T-Rex, roar, roar, dinosaur. <laughs> so some people believe tales of werewolves aren't just the product of folklore, though. They are convinced these vicious beasts are real. In fact, some contend they themselves are a were- werewolf and cannot control their actions when they take on the form of the creature. Experts in the mental health field claim these people actually suffer from a condition known as lycanthropy. Now... See, I hate this mouse. According to the DSM-5, lycanthropy is, quote, the supernatural condition in which men actually assume the physical form of werewolves or other animals. You're a sexist. Women. Women, too. Well, you said men. It's women, too. Okay. You they're bitches they're don't saying get a men pass. in general. 
It's a DSM five. They don't they don't identify sex. It's just men in general. It's in human. Whatever. Human. They don't call them humans. Just saying. Well, that's because women because we're ha- shegras. No, that's because women shouldn't have any rights. <laughs> Whatever. I'm they're not even. He- they're they're obviously not humans. They're women. Now shut the fuck up and clean the floors. <laughs> shut the fuck up and finish organizing my cupboards, damn you. You were doing a good job. Thank you. I do appreciate that. Well, by no, because it's been bugging me since I was staying here, and I just never did it. Because you know, although. You know, some people might say, oh, did you think you were overstepping your bounds? I said, no, I just didn't want to take on the task. I don't care what Scott thinks. <laughs> and it makes sense. And I'll my, organize his, everything of his. And my, my spice, I, I don't know, bookshelf, yeah. is, you know, it has teas and all kinds of stuff. It, it was pretty disorganized. So. Well, yeah. And like I said, those uh, those containers of spice, I'm just going to take them and empty them out and wash them up. And I don't know, maybe sell the rack because you don't use it, you know. Nice rack. I know I have a nice rack. Thank you. It's about time you recognize that. Yeah. I, have ni- I, have I just nice threw up in my mouth a little bit. I have nice boobies. <laughs> oh, great. Now I got to call my shrink. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So anyways, people who suffer from this mental disorder also tend to believe in the transmigration of souls and or reincarnation in general. So this illness isn't limited to Europe and North America, nor is the beast always a wolf. The mutant animal which people transition into is based on the most vicious beast of prey specific to the region. So although Northern Asia believes the creature is a wolf, in places like India, Japan, China, and other Asian regions... Believe Damn it's Asians, a tiger. man. I know, they believe that they transition into a tiger. Um, like crouching actually, tiger, hidden dragon. Actually, I think some of them turn into pandas, but nobody realizes it because they're so docile. They are so cute. I love a panda. I'm, I mean, well, I mean, elephant is my spirit animal, and people make fun of me because I'm a rather big woman. But it's because of their loyalty, and you know what I mean—the loyalty and empathy they have. And they won't leave anybody behind. But yeah. So depending on the region in Africa, though, the beast is either a leopard or a hyena. Whereas other regions around the world claim it's a bear or some other dangerous carnivorous creature, even though it's not like Mexican folklore doesn't it doesn't say the person turns into them, but they like reincarnate into the chupacabra. That makes sense. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, because I I don't know if we've talked about that, but that's a legend in Mexico in South America that these are beasts, you know, of prey that target humans that are like roaming the deserts. Um, now, mental health experts claim lycanthropy and the whale world superstition are linked, are directly linked to other beliefs, such as guardian spirit animals, totemism, with totemism, excuse me. I think that people turn into toads when I think I dated no, her. I, I missed an M in there. Totemism, which is a kinship with a spirit being that can also include plants because they have a life force, um, vampires and witches. But not witches is not to be confused with the practice of the Wiccan religion because they're two separate things. Correct. You know, some people don't get that. So I, I want to make that clear. Now, this is one part I didn't want to say to you. The history of lycanthropy is actually believed to have originated. Do you know where? Let me think. Probably Africa. No. Ancient Greece and the cult of Wolf Zeus. According to the legends, members of this cult gathered once a year on Mount Lycus. During these gatherings, a ceremony was held in which priests would prepare a sacrificial feast to serve to the gatherers, which comprised meat from animals mixed with the flesh of humans. Now, anyone who took part in eating this dish would instantly take on the form of a wolf, However, they wouldn't be able to revert back to a human unless they refrained from consuming human flesh for almost a decade. Some say, some people say that the abstaining period had to be nine years. Now, I'm going to, throughout this whole series, I'm going to be talking about several cases involving people who actually suffer from lycanthropy and other aspects of disease, of the disease and the, psycho- the psychopathy of a human. Now, this first case I'm going to talk about actually happened here in the Pac Northwest. Um, I can't even remember what year it was. 69. No, it wasn't. It was in the 90s, I think. Um, I think I have it later. But anyways, this one happened in actually in East Wenatchee, Douglas County, Washington. Yep, I know where that is. Yeah. it's at, Well, for those who don't, it's approximately 170 miles west of Spokane and 107 miles north of Yakima. 
Yeah, you know, that village that sounds like you're hacking up a lung. Hakama. Yeah, Kaima. <laughs> so a young woman kept calling the house of her mother, Rita Huffman, and her 14-year-old sister, Amanda. Now, after she made several attempts and they still didn't answer, she became worried. So she drove over to the house to check on them. When she arrived, she had found that the front door was locked, which wasn't unusual, but she knew that her mother always kept the sliding glass door in the back unlocked. So once she entered the house, she was shocked by the scene she found. Both her mother and sister were dead and covered in large amounts of blood. Amanda was in her mother's bedroom and Rita was on the couch in the family room. As soon as she saw what happened, the sister ran, the daughter ran over to a neighbor of her mom's who contacted the authorities. And when the officers arrived on scene, they discovered that Rita and Amanda weren't only the victims of a horrific double homicide. They had also been sexually assaulted with their genitals mutilated in multiple ways. That's ruining of a perfectly good vagina. I'm telling you, their immediate reaction was that whoever committed the brutal act was more of an animal than a human. Right? So then, as they're piecing together a timeline, newspapers from the Seattle area actually reported that the last time anyone talked to Rita was the night before at approximately 10 p.m. Now, Rita was in a relationship with a man. However, it didn't even take the authorities, like, I mean, they said very quickly they were able to verify his alibi. As the investigator searched the house and property and collected evidence, the medical examiner determined that the time of death was between 11 p.m. and 3 a.m., and that timeline checked with, the, with what the detectives found. Amanda was lying on her mother's bed wearing a watch, which seemed to have been damaged during a struggle, and it had stopped at approximately 11.35 p.m. So the pathologist condu- con- conducting, conducting, conducting the autopsies reported Amanda had suffered multiple stab wounds, which would have resulted in her death had the attacker not bludgeoned her to death with a blunt instrument. Damn. And I'm pretty sure he used a baseball bat, and I'll explain that in the next paragraph. Because after Amanda was bludgeoned to death, she was sexually assaulted. Not only was she raped by her attacker, but when he was done raping her, he took a baseball bat and violated her again. She's what 14. The fuck? She's 14. Dude, that is William Bonin type shit that going is, on. Well, I mean, because William did it to that kid while he was alive. and sent the, him in, He died from shock, remember? Yeah, from, from, from a pull cue in his rectum. Yeah, exactly. It was like, oh my God, this is horrible. So once he was finished... Violating her with a baseball bat, he eviscerated her, which means he cut her stomach open from, I mean, sternum to pelvis is what my mom would say, um, and mutilated her genitals, placing the skin he removed from her labia on her face. Okay? Ah, damn. Yeah, but he just placed it on her face, and that's important to note here. It was determined that Rita, the mother's cause of death, was from being stabbed approximately 31 times. After she was dead... Her killer mutilated her body. He removed both of her breasts, then took them in the room and placed them next to the daughter, and then he cut out her vagina and shoved it into her mouth. What so the he fuck? didn't. It's you could tell the object of his desires through this whole attack was the daughter, right? And Jesus the mother just happened Christ, to be there. Man. Then, in a last effort to take away her dignity, he posed her body in a provocative position for whoever found her. Kind of like Danny Raines. Right, right, right. So everyone involved in the investigation realized both victims did not die quickly. Their suffering was tremendous. Um, Now, detectives couldn't find any evidence of forced entry. So they assumed either Rita and Amanda knew their killer and let him in. Or he had been stalking one or both of them for long enough. He knew that the sliding glass door was always unlocked. Back at the station, investigators started coming through incident reports from the night of the murders and narrowed down a suspect very quickly. They discovered that a man who was dressed in black clothing that night by the name of Jack Owen Spillman III was arrested. That's a horrible name. I mean, the third. That's a, no, that's an eloquent name. You wouldn't that, think. Yeah, that's, that's like, like a family name. Family name. Yeah, it's a, Deep hello, South family name. my name is Jack Owen Thurman the third, or whatever the fuck Spillman the third. Spillman the third. I drive a Maserati, and we live in the castle with the English family. Like, like uh, what's his name from Gilligan's Island? Yes, Thurston yeah. Howell. Yeah, Thurston Howell the third. <laughs> Sorry. So he was actually arrested near the crime scene at approximately 2 p.m. I mean, 2 a.m. Apparently, (laughs) you're going to love this. He fit the description of a suspect who had committed a burglary in the area that earlier. So when the authorities went back and searched the area where he had been picked up, they discovered a bloody knife. 
When it was tested, it came back with a positive match for one of the victims. They also tracked down a witness who claimed to have seen Spillman's truck near Rita's house at approximately 1130, which coincided with the murders. Now, despite the evidence they found in the eyewitness accounts, the detectives couldn't definitively link him to the crime itself. Since they really had nothing to warrant keeping him in custody, they had no other alternative than to release him. However, they weren't ready to clear him as a suspect, so they kept him under surveillance and continued to dig into his past. By doing this, they discovered he had a notable record with charges comprising of attempted rape, burglary, and rape. And he was the prime suspect in the 1994 disappearance of a young nine-year-old girl named Penny Davis, who was the daughter of a lady he had been living with, and until that point, she was still missing. Um, One day, apparently unaware that he was being followed, you know, kind of like the Golden State Killer, didn't know they were watching, Right. um, Spillman threw out a suspicious item. When the authorities recovered it, they discovered it was a ski mask, and it was soaked in blood. After it was analyzed, they found out the blood also matched with one of the victims. They also noticed there was a blood stain close to the mouth opening, and detectives later determined that this stain resulted from him drinking Amanda's blood. Jesus Christ. Yeah, like Richard Trenton Chase over here. Investigators also questioned more people in the area where the murders were committed, and they found out in the days leading up to the double homicide, he had been seen at various times close to where Amanda's activities were located. With the results of the analysis on the ski mask and the additional eyewitness reports, they were finally had enough to arrest him, seize and search his vehicle, and thoroughly search his home. During those searches, detectives discovered more evidence, including clothing fibers as well as hair and blood matching the victims, not to mention he didn't have an alibi for where he was when the murders were committed. According to some reports, he was working for a local butcher shop when he was arrested, which might explain how the mutilations were so precise the authorities had assumed they were done. Um, the perpetrator had skills in that area. Um, oh, dang it. I hate this mouse. I'm going to go insane. But <laughs> Too late. I know. After Spillman was arrested, you know what, I just need to come down here. After Spillman was arrested, he admitted that he stalked Amanda for months before he carried out his attack. When he entered the residence, simply because she was there, Rita was a victim as well. Even though she wasn't his primary target, he attacked her with the extreme rage, and she endured tremendous violence at his hands. In an effort to stay off death row, because we know that happens, he actually confessed to killing Rita and Amanda and the missing girl. Law enforcement officials recovered her remains from a shallow grave he had placed her in, which was only approximately 12 miles from her house, and it looked like he had buried her in the same position in which he had placed Amanda on the bed, you know, with the things on her face. Right, right, right. Okay, so according to reports, he had loft, Spillman had lofty ambitions. While he was in custody, his cellmate claims he bragged that his ambition was to be the most famous serial murderer in the country. And it's well established that he believed he was a werewolf. Therefore, he acted the way the vicious beast would by stalking his prey. He also thoroughly studied other serial killers in history to figure out a way to avoid capture. And one of his countermeasures, one countermeasure he took is like the one used by Israel Keys. He shaved off all of his body hair. Remember we talked about that with Keys? Yep. Yeah. For years prior to committing the murder, he had dark fantasies of torturing young girls. In fact, he had always wanted to murder a girl cut out her heart so he could eat it, similar to the way a hunter does his kill. Now, scroll, I'm using my down arrow. Before killing his first victim, Spillman wanted to keep the girls he preyed upon in a secluded cave. However, he was dis- disappointed when the first girl he murdered, quote, died too fast, as he systematically tortured her with his knife. Once she was dead, he placed her in the shallow grave, and reports indicate he returned to the grave several times and dug up her corpse so he could perform sexual acts with it. Is that bad? I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, Alice Cooper says no, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As he recounted his crimes to investigators, he would grow increasingly more frenzied the more he discussed his actions. Like, he was just like, oh my God, this is what I did. And he gets kind of like Jerome Brutus did. Right, right, okay. You know, yeah. it's like he wants you to feel his excitement and get that same excitement. But, and these officers are like, they're disgusted, right? Ultimately, he pled guilty in court to three counts of aggravated murder, 
and the judge sentenced him to life in prison without the possibility. He was dubbed a werewolf butcher by the media. And according to an investigative discovery docuseries called Most Evil, an expert has developed a scale to rate how evil an individual is or was, which had a range of 1 to 22. And Spillman ranked the highest level, 22. And this is not to be confused with that psychopath, sociopath scale of 40. You know, it's not the same. Right, right, right. So he is, he is not the only case of a murderer who self-identified as a deadly beast. He's just a modern day case. And See, I'm a beast in the bedroom. Ask any woman I've been with. And believe me, I'm like McDonald's, you know, over, over a billion served. So there's that. Jot that down as a side I mean, note. Your masturbations did not count as serving anybody. Ask your mom. <laughs> You're so disgusting. So he's just, like I said, a modern case. In fact, there were similar cases reported in the 19th century, but they were described as psychiatric cases. Um, according to, you're going to love this. I actually am giving you, going to give you his full name in a minute because you're going to love it. His name is Richard Von Kraft Ebbing. Okay, he was a German professor uh, of psychiatry. Duh. duh, no kidding, man. I'm pretty sure that he was at Auschwitz. Yeah, he was a British, a German professor of psychiatry for the Strasbourg University, and he was also an alienist, or they called him an alienist back then, but they're psychiatrists, working at Feldhoff Asylum. Okay, now he was back, you know, before World War One and Two. But you want to know his full name? Sure. Are, do we have an hour? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, well, it's a German name. What do you yeah. expect? Richard Friedelin Joseph Ferrerkraft von Festenberg off Fronberg Gnant von Ebbing. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you glad he went by Richard von Kraft Ebbing? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sorry. You're, you're done? <laughs> I was done. It was yes. so freaking long. I had to take a nap. Woo, what day is it? <laughs> it's still Sunday. It's still Sunday. Holy shit. But no, I told you it was long. I had to put it all in there because I was like, oh, Scott's going to love that one because we've talked about multiple names before now. Have you not seen German words? Yes. They are ridiculously long for no reason. Well, yeah. Well, and not just that is um, because I we all know that I have family in Germany and Amsterdam. And when I trace back my Amsterdam ancestors, literally from... I can't remember, like the 1600s, every other generation, the firstborn male is either named Heinrich Petricus Persoon or Petrus Heinrichus Persoon, which is Henry Peterson or Peter Henryson. Okay? A lot of Peters in your family. Exactly. Lots of them. And yes. if they smoke, they're Peter Puffers. Yeah, well, the Peter Puffer picked a pack of Puffers. No. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, I know the names are kind of weird back there but um he actually was famous for his studies on sexual psychopaths and insanity in 1879 he actually published a book titled a textbook of insanity insanity which categorized various mental diseases probably your early ancient dsm-5 right approximately seven years after that book published he released another book about the vocabulary perversion and this one was titled and Bear with me. Psychopathia sexualis with a special reference to the antipathic sexual instinct, a medico forensic study. And within this book, he detailed roughly 238 cases and some of which included men known for their bestial appetites. Um, one of the cases he featured was, and you'll notice a pattern here, but I'll get into it in a minute. Um, one case he featured was that of a 22-year-old by the name of Vincenzo Verzenzi. Yeah. <laughs> in right. eight, yeah. In 1872, he was arrested and charged with attempted murder. However, law enforcement officials believe he had also committed several murders. According to reports, the first murder he is suspected of committing was a 14-year-old girl, and her mutilated body was found along a path in the village of Bergamo, Italy. Her murderer had ripped out her intestines from their bo her body and discarded them several feet away. A small section of her leg had been torn off, and it's believed she suffocated to death because whoever killed her packed dirt in her mouth. God damn. Yeah. Not long after that young woman's body was found, the remains of another female victim were discovered in the village. It appears her corpse was mutilated like the first victim. Then a third girl was attacked who almost lost her life. However, she survived. In fact, she was instrumental in helping the authorities arrest Versenzi. 
Medical professionals at the time believed that the way a person's skull was formed was a viable method to determine whether they were mentally ill. Now, when doctors examined his skull for any type of physical abnormality, they discovered his cranium was larger than the average and asymmetrical, which means it was disproportionate. Both of his ears were considered defective, as the one on the right was noticeably smaller. I thought I heard a telephone, but it's breaks. Noticeably smaller than the one on the left. Finally, this is, you know, you don't want to go anywhere yet. Trust me. Okay, I'll wait. I think there was somebody, yeah. Why would your garbage man be coming on a Sunday? Because it's no day. Oh, they didn't pick up Friday? No. Okay. So, anyways, um, finally, the last defect they found, <laughs> I, this is the part I'm going to regret. He, they found that he had a, quote, greatly developed penis. He's hung like a fucking bull uh, elk. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I was like, because when I read that, I'm like, oh, great. Scott's going to talk about his greatly developed penis. <laughs> I don't have to talk about it. It, it. it speaks for itself. Trust me. Ask <laughs> ask any lady that I've been with. I'm pretty proud of what I've got. <laughs> we know. We hear it. <laughs> I haven't heard it from the ladies, but I hear it from you. <laughs> oh, trust me. I could line up. Now, granted, most women I, I've ever dated hate my guts now because I'm an asshole. But you know. they all love the penis. <laughs> So with these findings, local researchers concluded he had significant signs indicating he had some level of depravity. So once he was in custody, he confessed to the crimes he committed. He told the authorities, scroll down, he was extremely sexually aroused by the murders and mutilations he carried out. And his greatest thrill was wrapping his hands around a woman's neck. He said that if he had an orgasm before he murdered her, he would spare her life and let her go. However, if he couldn't climax, he continued to choke them until they died and he was able to achieve achieve sexual gratification. Now, Versenzi claimed he drank the blood of one victim and with the others, he said he ripped out sections of their corpses because they provided him with a powerfully erotic sensation. And as a result, locals in the area and law enforcement officials actually used him in teachings of examples of ex, uh, as an example of supreme degeneracy. I don't see anything wrong with what he's doing. There's not a guy out there who hasn't wanted to choke the ever-loving shit. That's true. And there chip. are some guys out there that really like to attack the, you know, the vagina when they're, you know. Oh, believe me, when I go downtown... <laughs> when you go to Pound Town, <laughs> when I, before I take her to Pound Town, I I, I I go to the buffet of love. I'm trying to eat too. Thanks. <laughs> I go on a fish frenzy. <laughs> That's even worse. The seafood buffet of love. Anyways, I like the crab and lobsters. So all you can eat crab buffet. Uh huh. Granted, got to use a special shampoo afterwards, but hey, sometimes you got to take one for the team. I digress. <laughs> I digress. So Kraft Ebbing also featured another case of an unnamed 24-year-old man. He was a vine dresser, which, according to Merriam-Webster, is defined as a person who prunes, trains, and cultivates vines. Oh, so, like, like they would tend like... Wineries, vine- yeah. yeah. wineries, and vineyards. wineries, yeah. And like okay. blueberry vines and that, yeah, that kind of stuff. So according to the, his, the book, this man killed a 12-year-old girl. After she was dead, he mutilated her genitals, cut out a portion of her heart, and ate it before he drank her blood. After he was in custody, he readily confessed his crimes to the authorities. However, he didn't display any emotion about his actions. He wasn't overly anxious or frenzied. And in fact, reports indicate he appeared to be indifferent. Like, oh, well, it is what it is. Almost as if what he did to his victim before, during, and after her death had little to no impact on her. The only thing that mattered in the moment was satisfying his own desires. She doesn't care about what happened to her anymore. Yeah, but he didn't care about what happened to her either. Yeah, no, there's there's no long-term effects on her except for the death aspect. Yeah. That's Um, pretty long-term. Pretty much, yeah. So anyways, I'm going to... Did you know that dying is a leading cause of death? It is? Yes. Isn't that from Jen Oshler? No. No, he killed her until she was dead or something like that. And then... He got killed to death. That's it. That's it. I knew it was something. That is still my most favorite thing that she's ever said. <laughs> she said that more than 20 years ago. 
<laughs> and I just, I, I haven't been able to, and then, here's what, I was watching a newscast out of Oklahoma, and the uh, the newscaster uh, actually used the term, and that is when he was killed to death. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> it's an Oklahoma thing. <laughs> it's got to be an Oklahoma thing. That's, that's freaking awesome. That's, that's, that's tremendous right there. <laughs> now, anyways, according to Kraft Ebbing's writings, he said, quote, a great number of so-called lust murders depend upon combined sexual hyperesthesia or paresthesia, which I will get into in a minute. As a result of this perverse coloring of feelings, further acts of bestiality with the corpse may result. Now, Kraft Ebbing also noted experts specializing in the study of serial sex crimes maintained that with extremely perverse acts, the primary perpetrators were who? Men. White men. Yeah, of course. We and, are serial killers. And by now, the way, hold on. This goes out to all the blacks. <laughs> Listen up, my brothers. Stop freaking serial killing. That's, that's our right. thing. You know what? Give us one thing. Yeah, that's that's our thing. You guys ain't see, aren't serial killers. Back. No, you guys are good rappers, excellent gang members. Let us do the killing. You guys are great at being a criminal. <laughs> um, lay the hell off serial killing. I'm gonna that's, choke on my. That that that's our thing. Stay in your lane, fucker. <laughs> Hang on. I'm gonna choke on this meat over here. The chicken. <laughs> Choking the chicken. I took a I took a bite as you were talking, and then you made me laugh, and I almost choked. So, before I do go on, though, I want to take a moment to define because the next case I'm talking about shortly actually furthered the advancement of forensic science. Um, now before I go on, according to the National Center of Biotechnology Information, hyperesthesia is defined as an increased cutaneous, which above the epidermis layer of skin. Sensitivity manifesting as a stimulus-dependent neuropathic pain. Those are big words for our listeners. Did you what? not read the demographic that we... Uh, I know. No, and I'm going to explain it here in a minute. A lot of them. I'm going to explain it here in a minute. Hold on. I'm not saying that all of, our, uh, all no, of you listeners no. are stupid, but we hit a certain demographic where the education level is not very high. This is true. This is true because it's usually... Yeah, because that's where the... Fascination with serial killers is higher. So, if you understand, hold on, if you understand all those big words, hey man, kudos to you, welcome. Yes. This explanation is for you other dipshits. Yeah, so I mean, I don't want to get into a whole lot of it, but actually what it is is basically, it means that their outer layer of skin is super sensitive to touch and thermal sensation without pain and pain, which means they're extremely sensitive to touch and heat and everything else, and as a result... They have a diminished threshold for any other type of stimulus. So um, those other stimuli aren't like, they're not normally recognized, you know. So they have, because they're constantly feeling this pain, this tingling sensation or whatever, that they're not like focusing on anybody else's, you know, em empathetic or whatever, because it's so severe for them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So then, again, when it comes to paresthesia, it's a burning or prickling sensation that's usually felt in the hands, arms, legs, or feet, but can also occur in other parts. And it's a sensation which happens without warning and is usually painless and described as a tingling or numbness. Now, it's true that, I mean, if you think about it, it can be either transient, which is short-term, or chronic, which is long-term, but... Most of us have actually had paresthesia at some point, okay? <laughs> Depends on where we're talking. Shut up. It's when that in pins and needles effect you feel when your limb falls asleep. Oh, well, no. Mine's when it's too much fellatio. But, okay. Why do you have pins and needles in your penis when you have too much fellatio? There are some chicks that you can smack them in the back of the head, and they're like, I'm going to stop. It's like, yeah, you're going to have to, or there's going to be a murder. Well, you know what? Because I've heard some guys are extremely sensitive when they orgasm. Oh, yeah. That it's, yeah, so... But I dig Greg again. Anyways, so like I said, this is actually a very common feeling in a lot of us. It's also a less and well known, a, a lesser known and uncommon form is called formication, which is actually the sensation of people having insects crawling on their skin. And this is a literal psycho, you know, uh, mental disorder where people would literally like try to shave their face off and gouge out their arms because they thought they had bugs crawling on them. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I can understand why that would be just a, like, 
drive you insane. Um, now, this next case is the one that um, advanced forensic science. In 1901, in the Baltic Sea off the coast of Germany on the island of Rügen, two young boys were found murdered and dismembered. Now, it wasn't long before local law enforcement officers focused their investigation on a reclusive carpenter from Bobby, which is a municipality in Germany, by the name of Ludwig Tesnow. According to reports, eight-year-old Hermann Stube and his six-year-old brother Peter lived with their parents in Gorin, uh, which is a municipality in Rügen. And on July 1st, 1901, the brothers left their house after telling their parents they were going to play out to play nearby. You know, that's when kids played outside. Yes. <laughs> they didn't have video games. Normally, they would return home around the time the family sat down. Well, they say supper, but that's only a Midwest and, like, European term. Dinner. Because <laughs> um, my dad would call lunch dinner and dinner supper. It was always weird. Hmm, weird. I was like, Dad, you're so Midwest. Um, so that evening, they didn't come home. So their father... And several of their neighbors and a police officer from the village searched for them around the areas where they played. When their search didn't turn up anything, the boys were officially reported missing. An elaborate search party was assembled to cover a more extensive area. And on July 2nd, a member of the search party found Herman and Peter's bodies. They were in a wooded area near the family home, hidden under a thicket. Police immediately determined they were bludgeoned to death by their murderer. And this was made obvious when they discovered a large bloody stone in the immediate vicinity of the remains. Literally, they got stoned. They got stoned. Poor things. So the authorities also noted that the bodies were mutilated in the same way two girls had been in September of, in September of 1898. But I'll get to that in a minute. Now, Peter had a crushed skull, a jagged laceration in his stomach, which caused his intestines to stick out. And his neck had been severed at the base of the skull where it connects to the spine. Damn, go big or go home, right? No shit, yo. So perhaps even more disturbing than those injuries, his heart had been cut out of his chest and left nearby. Okay? Now, Herman's legs and pelvis were removed from his body. This is the older boy. They were found later in a separate location. However, the authorities wouldn't specify where. And his heart had also been removed by the murderer. But unlike Peter's, his was never found. So, um... I lost my heart in San Francisco. Everybody, you know the words. You are not... What's his name? What is his name? Frank Sinatra? Yeah, thank you. That's I can think song, of it. Yeah. Hang on, I'm sending you a text, so... Um, is it about Sasquatch things? No, I'm asking you to do me a favor. Um, so, detective canvassed the area and questioned the local residents. Just when they were about ready to give up hope of catching a lead, an eyewitness came forward. She told them that she had seen the reclusive test now talking with the brothers on the same afternoon they turned up missing. Law enforcement officials went to his house to question him. However, he denied having any involvement in the crime. Nevertheless, they searched his home, and the only suspicious item they recovered was some clothing that had recently been washed, which had s contained some suspicious stains. Now, when he was confronted with those findings, he had an explanation ready. It was in his pocket, I guess. According to him, in his job as a carpenter, he frequently used wood dye which he claimed caused the stains. Since their alleged evidence was purely circumstantial, it wasn't enough to keep him in custody. But after he was released, a judge actually reviewed what the investigators had found up to that point, and as he was going through the file, he recognized Tesno's name and remembered a previous case the authorities believed was linked to him as well. That one was in on September 9th, 1898, a seven-year-old by the name of Hannah Laurie Heidemann, along with her seven-year-old neighbor and friend Elsa Langmeyer, left their houses. They lived in Lechtingen, now known as the Wallenhorst District. I'm telling you, these names are so German. Which is just north of Osnabrück, Germany. <laughs> Dude, I had to look up the phonetic spellings of these. The girls were headed to school, which was approximately only 300, 300 yards or three football fields away from Hannah Laurie's family home. Every day, the girls, because their houses were so close to school, would come home for lunch. Their mothers always expected them to arrive by 12.15 p.m. When they didn't show up, the mothers rushed to the school to find out what happened. Imagine their shock and terror when they must have 
they must have felt when they were told their daughters never made it to class that morning. Um, keep in mind, though, this was over a century before the disappearance of seven-year-old Kyron Horman. Yes. Now, he was a student in Skyline Elementary School here in Portland, and on the morning of June 4th, 2010, while I was at Goonfest, he was seen at the school science fair before school, but by the time class started, he was nowhere to be found. Alien abductions. Well, despite an extensive search and desperate pleas from his parents broadcasted by the media, he nor his remains have ever been found, and his disappearance prompted nationwide changes in the procedures the way schools have to for contacting parents of absentee students across the nation. You know, because before it would be like, oh, you know, let's go through the call log and see if the parents called in at any point to excuse their absence. Now it's like if they are reported not in class then their parents are immediately called because they track those calls now that parents give before classes. Oh, rock on. Yeah, because I'll, I'll never forget because I was at Goonfest with my son. The fuck is Goonfest? Goonies was filmed oh, in Goonies. Astoria. The Goonies, okay. Yeah, it's I'm, I'm, Goonfest. I'm up to, I'm up to speak I know, right now. Some people. But anyways, I was at Goonfest with my son and I had taken one of my son's friends and I forgot to call my son in absent and I had no cell service at the place I was staying. So when I got into town for breakfast, I had like 10 phone calls from the school saying, Jeremiah isn't in school. Is he okay? You know, and I was like, I called my, I am so sorry. I forgot to call him in everything. I said, we're actually out of town. They go, okay, because that's when they told me about Kyron Horman. I was like, oh no. I would have said, he's not okay, man. He got too mouthy. I sent him to see Jesus. (laughs) He's down at the beach right now. (laughs) (laughs) Swimming with the fishes. That's right. That's right. He's wearing a pair of concrete loafers. You're so stupid. So anyways, once Hannah Laurie's mother, her name is spelled J-A-D-W-I-G-A, but it's pronounced Yetwiga. And Elsa's mother, Ermgard, that's a very German name, realized their daughters were missing. They rushed to where their husbands were working and gathered people from the village to help them search. The search party spread out to cover the entire village, but when they didn't find the girls after searching for nearly three hours, the perimeter was expanded to cover the wooded areas just outside the village. As 9 p.m. approached and darkness was setting in around the area, the searchers were getting discouraged. Even so, they pressed on. A short time later, Hannah Lori's naked body was found, and the volunteers who found her remains were shocked and horrified by what they saw. Whoever killed her had dismembered her, and her missing body parts were later found scattered around the forest. That's fucked up. What the hell? Yeah. What remained of her corpse had been mutilated severely. The local authorities were notified, and they took over the search for Elsa. A short time later, they found her naked body as well. In fact, her remains were concealed in a bunch of thick bushes near where Hannah Lori's body mutilated remains were discovered. And the killer had dismembered and mutilated her the same way they did her friend. Now, a search in the area where the bodies were discovered turned up a button. During the questioning, the authority noticed that Tesno had a button missing. When they compared it, they found they when they compared it with the remaining buttons on his clothing, they matched perfectly with size, shape, and appearance. Now, the detectives pointed out the similarities, but he said. That it might very well be his, but he had lost his a few weeks before as it was walking through that wooded area. Dun, 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 dun. The plot thickens, much like the bush. <laughs> the, thick like the bush. You're so stupid. Now, according to reports, as they were questioning him, Tesno never seemed anxious, agitated, or nervous, nor did he give them the impression he was suffering from any sort of mental illness. Since the authorities didn't have any substantial evidence, they had no other choice but to release him for that case as well. But that happened before the boys. However, after going through more articles, I discovered why they really let him go. Law enforcement officials investigating the murders believed that the perpetrator was obviously a mentally disturbed individual. So when he didn't present any of those qualities during the questioning, they were convinced he wasn't their man. After he was cleared as a suspect, he continued to live in the area for a while. In fact, on several occasions, villagers noticed him wearing the same stained clothing he had on when he was detained for questioning. Then, four months after the seven-year-old girls were murdered, in January of 1899, he moved to Babe. And he claimed his decision to relocate was because he was going where the work led him. 
Now, the judge suspected Tesna was linked to the murder of the two girls, as well as the death of the brother, two girls in 1898 and the brothers in 1901. So, erring on the side of caution and public safety, he issued a warrant for the carpenter's arrest. However, he wasn't fully aware of everything related to the case yet. Law enforcement officials took Tesnow back into custody later in the day on July 2nd. As he was transported to the police department, he was adamant of his innocence. His residence was searched again, and that's when the authorities found a pair of freshly washed boots under his kitchen sink. Despite being clean, they were still very sane with the same dark reddish-brown substance. As he did with the stains on his clothing, he said those stains were from the wood dye he used while working on his carpentry jobs. However, this time, nobody believed his excuses. Therefore, the authorities kept him in custody, and his trial date was set, in, and it was to be held in Greifswald, Germany. Now, the prosecutor, Ernst Huberschmann, Oh I'm so glad that I don't have a German name because my family's from Switzerland and from Greece. Yeah. And I don't have a Greek name. I came out. Well, I have a Greek name, but it's not one of those really weird ones. No, it's one that we can pronounce. Yeah. because Scott. Like, no, I'm kidding. I mean, my last name, Alexander. Because yeah. like a lot of Greek names especially are like Donakakabalalalis <laughs> and shit like Jesse that. Jesse Kostopoulos. <laughs> and then um, there's actually a comedian named Kostaki Economopoulos. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, you know, but um, and then German have like my name is Hans Glutefan, the student de Hanbatin, the Hanbatin, the Fender, and you're like, um, no, we're calling you Joe. That's yeah. what we're calling you. Your name is if Joe. If it weren't for my great grandma Pursun, my grandfather's name would have been Petrus, <laughs> but she said, <laughs> not on my watch, bitch, and named him Kenneth. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, he had learned that a few weeks before the Stubby brothers were killed. A local farmer had reported suspicious activity on his farm. According to, I think it like offset again. It, I've been going back and forth. Yeah, according to reports, he saw a man running away from the meadows where his sheep were held. Don't go there. When he went to <laughs> you investigate, mean his dates? yeah. When he went to investigate the area, um, he was shocked by his findings. Um. Apparently, he found approximately seven of his sheep had been savagely mutilated. More specifically, they'd been dismembered and eviscerated. The gruesome part is their dismembered limbs and extricated guts were scattered around the area, much which became a crime scene. When this crime scene crime was first reported, it was believed the slaughter was a ritualistic witchcraft ritual. I mean, uh, witch craft ritual performance uh ceremony whatever i can't even think what i wanted to say and a shocking twist they were strewn about just like the remains of herman and peters were at the site of their murder now for that reason huberschman planned for the sheep farmer to go to the station to see if he could pick the suspect out of a lineup without hesitation he said tesna was the one fleeing his meadows now, when detectives questioned Tesnow about the incident, he claimed he only knew the details of the crime that he'd read in the local papers. However, he said he had nothing to do with mutilating any animals. Then he reiterated the stains the authorities found on his boots and clothes were not blood from any animal and or human. They were just wood dye. Now, the thing that, like, the forensic science breaks, that the forensic science actually broke this case. Approximately four months before Herman and Peter were murdered, this, the precipitin test was developed by Paul Uhlenhuth. Yeah. That's the, I make that same sound like when I, I fell on the ice. You went, Uhlenhuth? I hit, I went, oh, Uhlenhuth. <laughs> that hurt. Yeah. He was a German biologist specializing in the fields of bacteriology and immunology. Now, the precipitin test, which later became known as the Uhlenhuth test, was a newly developed method that allowed scientists and forensic technicians to determine if a suspicious stains were animal or human blood. Now, he was, a, he was Professor Otto Brumer's assistant at the University of Grisfeld since 1899 and throughout his career until his death in 1957 he made you're gonna love him he made several contributions to research that advanced the medical field he was actually the scientist that developed the first successful treatment for syphilis using small doses of arsenic so technically he wasn't a basic bitch because he didn't kill with the poison sweet and plus honestly because i I, i'm very honest about my whole life is i've had syphilis (coughs) so Thank you, Doc. Like it. <laughs> Thank you, Ulrich. 
<laughs> Thank you, the sound that I make if I fall. <laughs> right? No, you crack me. I couldn't chew that because you made me laugh and I didn't want to choke again. <laughs> Hang on. Got it. I got to swallow. Okay. <laughs> I bet you do. Shut up. I, I knew you a, were going to say something. I have something. a question. Do your clients have to pay extra for that? Or is that all inclusive? Like, can they buy a package? Do they have coupons? I'm on Groupon. Shut up. No, I'm kidding. <coughs> so when he passed away, Uhlenhuth was one of the most celebrated medical researchers in Germany, which explains why between 1910 and 1952, he received 40 nominations for the Nobel Prize in Medicine, not to mention in a rare occurrence during the Cold War, he was held in high regard by both the east and west side of the Berlin Wall, which is unheard of back then. This is true because this is true. Um, in the East Berlin, we uh, still experimented with the Jews. Did you? We had to get them nice and clean. Get in the showers, little now, Jews. I want to ask you, though, because yes. I know it's Dieter, my favorite man. Yes, Miss Tommy. He didn't die until 1957. Was he involved in the, you know, you know? Let's just say he had very much involvement in a lot of special projects. <laughs> because we have to, you know, he, he was concerned with the dirtiness of the Jews. So he helped get them into the showers and the special <laughs> pools. Yeah. Uh, they, they were clean when we were done. It's for the betterment of all I mankind. I was going to say, I think that Uhlenhuth was actually an authentic scientist, whereas Mengele was just, you know, weird. <laughs> Mengele was a genius. How can you say that, Miss Tammy? He you are disgraced to my fear. He tried to make Siamese twins. I'm sorry. It's just you wrong. are disgraced to my fear. Mm, you know. <laughs> Don't make fun of my uncle, damn it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so after Hooverschmann discovered Uhlenhuth had his new test, he met with the examining magistrate, which is a judge who oversees pre-trial proceedings in Germany, to submit a motion to have the test run. His motion was granted, and on July 29, 1901, the first package containing test notes, clothes, and boots were sent to Uhlenhuth's lab, and the second package containing the large stained rock found at the crime scene was sent in for testing on August 1st. Now, and a report dated August 5th, 1901, which Hooverschmann received on August 8th, so like four days after receiving the second package, um, Uhlenhuth released his report saying he indicated he tested over 100 spots among all of the items submitted. Some of the stains were, in fact, wood dye, as he had claimed. However, Uhlenhuth's test conclusively determined most of the stains were from human blood. Those, these locations are where he found the human blood. Okay, six locations upon his coat, seven locations upon his trousers, four locations on his waistcoat, and one place respectively on his cap and vest. Now, Uhlenhuth also determined a few of the blood stains on his trousers and jacket tested positive for sheep's blood. Finally, <laughs> the large discolorations on the stone tested positive for human blood. Now, keep in mind, this is way back in 1901, so they didn't have DNA. So they could right. tell human, whether it was dye, human blood, or animal blood. They just couldn't determine if it was, you know. Like who it belonged to. Yeah. So, I mean, literally, this dude could have, like, cut himself shaving. And, yeah, and or, it could have been his own nail. blood. Yeah, yeah. Been, dude, that's my blood. I cut myself. Yeah. So, what... Finally, so the largest test, when they discovered that the large discolorations were human blood on the stone, it verified their theory that about that stone being used to bludgeon Herman and Peter to death. Now, Uhlenhuth's test results were the final nail in Tesno's coffin, figuratively and literally. With his report and eyewitness testimony, the prosecutor moved forward with charging Tesno with murder. Even though the authorities believed he had committed at least four, they could only officially charge him for the murder of the two boys. That fact didn't matter. After 10 days of testimony, his trial concluded with the jury finding Tesno guilty on both counts of murder. The judge sentenced him to die because this was pre-World War II and pre-World War I before they abolished the death penalty in most of Europe. So, after being sentenced, he tried appealing his conviction. The judgment was confirmed on March 14, 1904, and before the year was out, just two short years after his conviction, he was executed by guillotine. Yeah! Yeah! 
keep in mind, nobody involved in this case referred to Tesnow as werewolf. However, when looking at his crimes, the way he tore apart his victims, both human and animal, was reminiscent of werewolves from folklore. That, And that being said, there was a period in history when this type of killer was actually common in society. Now... I'm going to, this is the end of part one. So before I get into the other cases in the other episode, I'm going to talk a little bit more about the legends of werewolves so we can get a better understanding of the subject. All right, have better. Okay, well, we have to conclude this episode. Oh, you're going to do that at the next? Yeah. I thought you were going to talk about that right no, now. No, I said next episode. Oh. Oh. Fine. So, follow me. Follow me. Follow me wherever I go. Oh, anyways. I don't even know the words to that song. I don't even know what the fuck you're trying to sing. All I heard was some growling and some huffing. Follow me. I can't. Something like a bird in a tree, I think. I don't know. What the fuck? I'm singing like you sing. I'm just making up songs in my head, but it's like... (laughs) (laughs) Never mind. Never mind. All right, boys and girls. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Log on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation and, uh, you know, have some chats with us. We have a yeah. pretty good uh, general chat group going on. Um, also, you can check out our, our Etsy account through the Citizens of Brutal Nation. There's a link in there yep. full of cool-ass shirts that we designed for serial killers, including Sasquatches. And uh, I got to represent my species. That's right, man. And this <laughs> show's copyright 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved, and we will see you guys later on. Bye bye. Bye, everybody.